EJ, do I have this thing on right? This is coming through? Okay. Had a little technical difficulty a moment ago. All right. Well, we're continuing our, our series in the, the book of Mark. Today's theme is selfless. There are certain moments in life where the hair bristles, <laughs> the adrenaline surges, when you're on the brink of something that's really intense. You're venturing out into uh, the unknown or something frightening or something exciting. Uh, I've never skydived, but it's kind of a dream of mine. But I, I can't imagine those moments before you jump out of the plane as you're anticipating that. You know, here it comes. We're getting close to the drop, the drop place. And uh, has anyone been skydiving in here? Yeah, some of you have. Or sometimes they, they call that uh, parachuting. Or maybe you uh, have a huge game, you're a professional athlete, and you're having that locker room chat right before, and you're getting ready to walk out where thousands of, of fans will be, you know, cheering, and, and uh, the lights will be on, and they'll be buzzing with excitement. You walk out there, uh, come what may, you know, what's going to happen in this game? All eyes are on you. I've never uh, been skydiving, but I have been to a, a bullfight, and I'm not endorsing bullfights. In the end, it was very sad, and it was a long time ago. But anyway, uh, I won't actually ask how many have been to a bullfight. But, but how it works, for those of you who haven't, hopefully most of you, is that, uh, well, first, uh, well, the bull's out there. It's crazy, crazy mad. And uh, some guys on, on horses, I think they call them picadors. They come out on, on horses that are padded, with, and uh, they have a lance, and so they come out first. And then after those guys leave, these guys come out, um, the banderillos or something like that. And they run out, they have these, these little uh, pronged flags, and they kind of dodge in and out and, and run and try to stick it in the back of the bull. And they're hiding behind the gates, and they come out, and it's all kind of a big deal. And all this is to build up, build up, build up for the moment that the matador comes out. And he very dramatically, you know, throws his hat into the ring. And it's this, this moment where all eyes are on him. It's buzzing with excitement. It's buzzing with anticipation and with fear. It's a, a come what may. It's just you and the bull now. But perhaps overshadowing all these is, is the trenches in, in battle. Being in the trench and waiting for the command to advance, and then you hear it and you, you rush out, come what may. These, these moments that just make the hair on your neck stand, what is about to happen? Mark gives us a scene that has a bit of this feel to it. In the, in the Gospel of Mark, um, We've seen Jesus ministering all up around Galilee and having various conflicts and various amazing things happening. But as he approaches closer and closer to Jerusalem, there's this sense that something big is about to go down. (laughs) There's a sense of anticipation, a sense of of fear, uh, maybe excitement, maybe confusion. It's jumping out into the unknown. And this is what discipleship is like. Being a follower of Jesus or becoming a, a Christian is not uh, adopting a set of rules to curb our naughtiness. That's not what following Jesus is, the essence of it. It's not joining an affinity club where, yeah, we kind of all like and believe the same thing, so we do things together. It, it's not that at all. 
It's not a path to self-improvement or a self-advancement. It's none of these things. Following Jesus is more like jumping behind our leader, come what may. Wherever he takes us, we will go. Leaving the safety of the airplane, (laughs) of the locker room, of the bullring fence, of the trench, and giving up and following your commander, Christ, wherever he would lead you. So our theme this morning, our big idea, if you're following along your notes, is to follow Jesus is to surrender self. It's, it's a letting go of, of self to follow our master. It's really the opposite of self-advancement. If you came to Jesus as some kind of self-improvement program, um, you're, in, you're in the wrong uh, program. So here's the setting. Jesus and his disciples, they're on the brink of the most intense moment of their lives as they approach Jerusalem. And in this critical moment, Jesus has a critical lesson to prepare his disciples for what's ahead. And that lesson is to follow Jesus is to surrender self. They were only slowly picking up on this message. So this morning we'll look at three things that it means to surrender self. What's involved in that? What does it mean? What areas of life? And then at the end of our passage, it concludes with one of the clearest statements of Jesus' mission. Why on earth did he come here in the first place? So we'll be in the book of Mark, chapter 10, uh, picking up uh, the narrative in verse 32. If you don't have a, a Bible with you, there's some in the pews, and that's on page 846 in those pew Bibles. Jesus and his disciples, they've been kind of meandering southward, if you've been following along. Um, they went from far north of, uh, of Palestine and uh, kind of wandering down. Now they're in, most recently we saw them east of, of the Jordan, but, but in the greater area of Judea. And now finally they are approaching Jerusalem. Verse 32 of chapter 10. And they were on the road, and they were going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him. So this is very significant. As I mentioned, they, it hasn't really been stated clearly where they were headed, um, but it was, you know, you can kind of pick it up where you travel, um, traveling with him. They're headed south toward Jerusalem. But now it explicitly says that's where he's headed. Jerusalem is the center of the messianic hope. This would be... Uh, the rightful throne of, of the anointed one, the, the Messiah, the Christ. And Jesus' disciples have increasingly uh, embraced him as the Christ. They say, this is the guy. This is, you are the Messiah. You're the, you're the anointed one. You're the Christ. And all that is wrapped up in Jerusalem, the, the, the city of God, the royal city, the throne of David, all that. And so if their, if their master, the triumphant Christ, is going to... Um, you know, break forth and set up his rule, that's going to happen uh, in Jerusalem. And that's right where they're headed into the middle of. So probably some excitement, some expectation. But also, Jerusalem is the place where all the opposition came from. Those uh, envoys of Pharisees coming up to challenge Jesus. Um, uh, Jerusalem represented all the opposition to Jesus. And so they had great reason to be frightened as well. So it's this moment of, of 
you know, bristling hair, uh, adrenaline. What's going to happen in Jerusalem? And with all this in the background, it says Jesus was walking ahead of them. He just resolutely just gets up and marches toward Jerusalem where it's all about to happen. So we see the response is that they were amazed and those followed were what? They were afraid. <laughs> they, they see Jesus, uh, uh, when all this is before him, the ominous uh, Jerusalem, they see him just marching ahead and they're behind and their knees are shaking and they're frightened to see the resolve of Jesus headed toward Jerusalem. They must be thinking, so this is really happening now. <laughs> here, here we go. And at that moment, Jesus began to tell them what was going to happen to him. And, he, and here we have Jesus' uh, kind of final words of instructions before they're going to face everything they do in the, in the Passion. It's like uh, in the skydiving illustration, the last-minute instructions as you're about to jump out of the plane. You know, watch your altitude or whatever. I don't know what they'll say, but I imagine that among other things. Or the big game, okay, no interceptions. Or the bullfight, watch the horns. Or in battle, expect gunfire from here and from there, whatever it might be. The last-minute words, and here Jesus gives some last-minute instructions. The critical lesson for the disciples is, it's not about you. (laughs) As we head to Jerusalem, you need to know that to follow Jesus is to surrender yourself. And so as we read a few moments ago, we saw what he revealed to his disciples about what was going to happen. Verse 33. Jesus pulls his disciples together, their knees shaking, and he says, look, we're going up to Jerusalem. I know when we look at maps, we think it's down to Jerusalem because it's south, but, but Jerusalem itself is elevated, and also it's the holy city, so everything goes up to Jerusalem. So we're going up to Jerusalem, And the Son of Man will be delivered over to chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and they'll deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they'll mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. And all his disciples are thinking, are we really just going to walk right into this? (laughs) This is what we're going for? Because they did not yet understand that following Jesus first means surrendering self-preservation. This universal um, internal response where above all else, we just want to preserve ourselves. This is uh, Jesus' third and most detailed uh, description of the passion that we see in Mark. And every time it's the same pattern, he says, look, I'm going to Jerusalem and terrible things are going to happen. And his disciples uh, show that they don't remotely understand what he's saying. And then he gives them some more instruction. So this is our third uh, cycle of that pattern. These loaded statements of of his describing what's going to happen to him in Jerusalem, they echo passages like Isaiah 53, but they also are exactly what uh, goes down in in Mark 15 as these things actually um, take place. These six terrible predictions, delivered to the Jews, condemned to die, delivered over to the Romans, mocked, spit on, flogged, killed. We see in these phrases that Everybody gets a piece of Jesus. The all-powerful, mighty line of Judah uh, is the lamb going to the slaughter. Everybody gets a piece of Jesus. His close friend, 
one of his you know, inner circle, uh, Judas, that followed him all these, all these months, delivered him over to the chief priests and the scribes, betrayed by his own friend. The religious leaders of Jerusalem, who should have been the ones who recognized him as, as the Christ and welcomed him as their, their leader, what did they do? They condemn, condemn him to death. And because they didn't have, apparently, the execution powers, uh, they deliver him over to the Gentiles to do that. And then the Gentiles, the, the Rome, the secular state, what do, what do they do? They mock and spit and scourge and then ultimately execute him. It's like Jesus is just kind of passed around and, uh, and taken advantage of. Everybody gets a piece of Jesus. And the implication for his disciples has to be obvious. Like, okay, we're his followers, we're his close, you know, we're his uh, following line right behind him. This is an enormous danger for us as well. I mean, they had to figure this out. They had to be frightened. They had to learn that following Jesus means surrendering self-preservation. The earlier prediction in in Mark 8 says... um, uh, it's followed up with this comment. It says, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. It's this whole kind of flip-flop in the kingdom. For what does it even profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? These words of Jesus show the, the weight of discipleship. It's taking all those things that I just want to cling on to and just laying it before Jesus and saying, I'm just going to follow you, come what may, whatever, whatever is ahead. Everything in us wants to make self-preservation a number one priority. I discovered this in um, high school biology. This is obviously not my high school biology lab because we were not that well-funded. But, uh, um, but in my high school biology class, we uh, were testing our blood types, and we had to... Um, to prick our finger, you know, get a couple drops of blood to put on a, on a, a slide um, or a microscope slide. Have anyone, has anyone pricked their finger for a lab thing? Yeah. I found that I couldn't do it. Uh, so w- intentionally we were, we were paired up with somebody else uh, so they could prick our fingers for us. I mean, I, I'm not generally in life like a real sissy. I do, you know, some adventurous things I'd like to think. Um, when I give blood, I try to watch them put the needle in now, but it's just like a mind game. But, but I couldn't bring myself. I had this little thing. It's just one little hole, and I just couldn't, I couldn't make myself do it because, you know, it's like, oh, my finger moves away. <laughs> so I had to have a girl do it for me. It's like, okay, poke the finger. And, and that's like in, in all of life. We just, you know, it's built into us. We want to preserve our lives. And Jesus says, come follow me, and uh, I'm not going to promise that it's all, all going to be sweet and rosy, we're going into severe difficulty. Because this tendency uh, to prioritize self-preservation, it derails discipleship. It, it gets us off the track of following Jesus when that is our priority. Um, if you follow uh, kind of globally the persecuted church, um, how enlightening and humbling to see what people endure for the cross of Christ. Um, directed you before to, to uh, persecution.org or persecution.com. Now I forget which one it is. 
you have really good eyes, you can probably see it on there. .org, nice. Somebody has really good eyes or nose. Here's just some of the ways that um, your brothers and sisters in Christ are facing uh, opposition in parts of the world. Uh, Actual arrests and imprisonment and torture sanctioned by the government. Martyrdom, assassination, attacks on life and property, crimes against women, forced conversion, restrictions on, restrictions on churches and Bibles. And then more indirect ways of educational discrimination and job discrimination, denial of rights, legal restrictions. This is what people are facing just because they, they love Jesus. Jesus says, follow me, <laughs> come what may. I, I think because we live with, with relatively an uh, enormous amount of freedom here, it's hard for us to get our mind around that. And yet there's things that, that derail our discipleship when following Jesus becomes hard. Even, even just we've been praying for, for healing and uh, God doesn't heal and that really doesn't feel good and it shakes our faith and discipleship gets derailed. Or maybe our reputation is at stake and people say things that, that make it just embarrassing to say you're a follower of Jesus and discipleship gets derailed. So we all live with this tendency to self-preserve rather than surrender self-preservation as a follower of Jesus. And so this comes out very clear as Jesus tells his disciples uh, where he's headed <laughs> and what could be expected. So after this really intense prediction, the following conversation seems uh, really absurd. So when you put them back to back, uh, it just uh, emphasizes how ridiculous this request of James and John are. So we pick up the story in verse 35. This is right after Jesus says, I'm going to be tortured, I'm going to be executed, etc. 35, and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the Thunder Brothers, They came up to him and said, "Uh, Teacher, we want you to do whatever you ask us or whatever we ask of you, which is, you know, rather bold. And Jesus said to them, "Uh, Well, what do you want me to do? And they said, Grant us to sit one on your right hand and one on your left in your glory. Now, that seems rather bold (laughs) to ask Jesus in light of what he has just said. But uh, kind of in defense of James and John, uh, I think their their question um, reveals that they believe that Jesus really is the Messiah and will be ultimately triumphant when you come in your glory. Uh, they believe that Jesus was who he really is. Uh, we have to give them credit for that. And we also have to give them credit that they were willing to follow Jesus into extreme danger, and they had already given up so much. But... They didn't know how completely uh, ridiculous their question was because they didn't understand, second, that following Jesus means surrendering self-promotion. Where we're focused on, you know, what's my status going to be? What accolades am I going to have? What position am I going to have? This this inner desire to self-promote. We lay that aside when we follow behind the master. So here's how Jesus responds. Verse 38, he says to them, uh, you don't even know what you're asking. <laughs> he said, you still don't really get it, even though I've kind of been telling you all these things. As, first of all, you want to be by my side in glory, 
but are you prepared to be by my side right now in suffering? Are you, are you ready for that? Is that what you're asking? Do you realize that's part of the deal? He says, are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism which I'm baptized? And they said, oh, yeah, we're able. And Jesus said to them, well, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I'm baptized, you will be baptized. In other words, yeah, you, you will, like it or not, <laughs> are going to suffer for my sake. But secondly, the status in the kingdom, what they need to realize, is that the status in the kingdom, it's not earned, it's not uh, secured by favor, it's not achieved, it's simply granted by God. Verse 40, he says, But to sit at my right hand or at my left, you know, in these places of, of honor, it's not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. If the status in the kingdom is not something that we, um, you know, we acquire or we achieve or earn or uh, bargain for or whatever, then it's also not something to be sought after or regarded. I was just musing this week about um, this comment Jesus makes, and, you know, it's like, it's, it's, not, it's not for me to say who's going to be on my right and left. That's for who it's been appointed and I just tried to picture who are the most random uh, believers who might be in those positions. We, we get to heaven, and, and there's uh, you know, this young, young girl from maybe 1300s, uh, the, the second daughter of six, you know, a, a farmer in Syria somewhere, and she's on the right side. And then a little old lady from Pocatello, Idaho, who passed away while knitting in a rest home. She's on his left side. It's like these nameless people. Uh, who knows? God... I can put whoever there, and we're worried about this ranking and how I look in the kingdom. And he's like, you are asking the wrong questions. You have no clue what you're asking. Because like this uh, universal tendency towards self-preservation, we bring this natural tendency towards self-promotion even into the church, even into the family of God. Whether it's in uh, over-regard for, for titles and roles in the church, like making a, uh, making a big deal about the pastor or, like, oh, he's a deacon or, oh, she's a worship leader or she leads this ministry or he's the chair of this or that. And we, we make a, a big deal in our minds like there's some kind of ranking in those things. Or maybe it's these feelings of superiority that just creep up because uh, our convictions are different from someone else's or I think my doctrine is, is better or uh, I've had these spiritual successes, so I start to feel superior to other people, like there's this ranking and status. Where it comes across in uh, serving for the sake of the accolades we get. We do things for the Lord, but really it's uh, for the pat on the back <laughs> or the status. To hear things like, oh, she does so much for the church, or oh, he gives so much. She contributes so much. He's such a man of God. She has so much spiritual insight, and we just love to hear those things, and that could be the motivation for doing these things. And Jesus says, you're, you're barking up the wrong tree. <laughs> you don't even know what you're asking. When we're driven by self-promotion, Jesus responds, you don't know what you're asking. Because following Jesus means surrendering self-promotion. So uh, 
as you maybe could imagine if you were in that scene and two of the disciples kind of broke away and cornered Jesus and asked him this question, how the other guys might feel about that, just kind of put yourself in those shoes and how they, how you would probably felt is exactly how they felt, verse 41. And when the 10 heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. They're, they're really angry. Probably not this righteous indignation like, oh, this is so sad that they you know, misunderstood the values in the kingdom. I think it's more the indignation of, oh, they thought of it first uh, before I got to them. So they're kind of really agitated. They needed to learn, third, that following Jesus means surrendering self-serving. This other universal tendency. We love to be served rather than to serve. (laughs) But in reality, following Jesus is the opposite of what's in it for me. Verse 45, Jesus called them to him. Now he has all all the boys around. And he said, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, well, they lord it over them. And they're great ones. They exercise authority over them. Uh, It wouldn't be hard for the disciples to look around at the cultural situation and see how obvious it is how anyone with power uh, leverages that power in self-serving ways. They could see uh, Caesar doing that on the grand scale in the empire. They could see uh, Herod doing it more locally. They could see the the Pharisees, the religious leaders, putting burdens on and oppressing uh, the religious followers. They see masters lording it over their slaves. They see husbands lording it over their wives. And on and on and on, whatever kind of power somebody has, they could look around and see that out there in the world, the universal tendency is to leverage power to serve self. But in the kingdom... There is a different way. He simply says, verse 43, but it shall not be so among you. Not not here. Not here among Jesus' followers. Not here in the kingdom. That's not how it works here. May it not be that way with you. But instead, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. Instead of using your power, you know, your authority, your resources, your might, for your benefit, use it for others' benefit, to serve. I, I think the, those who wrote the U.S. Constitution, they realized this tendency toward whoever has power wants to leverage that to be self-serving. And so they built into our government these balance of powers, the different branches that try to you know, regulate the others. Because you get one branch all the power, and they use it in self-serving ways. So they realize this tendency. But Jesus says, not so with you. That, that's not how it should work in the family of God. Uh, we all have some kind of power. Maybe, um, maybe you're a business owner. In the world, the business owner uh, wants to leverage as much as possible Uh, to serve self. They leverage, uh, extract as much out of their employees, extract as much out of the environments as they can, extract as much out of their their clients as they can, and on and on and on. But not so with you. In the kingdom, a business owner asks, how can I be a restorative blessing? 
to my employees, to my customers, to the world. It's an entirely different mindset. Maybe it's simply your authority or power is you're the bigger kid on the playground. You could leverage that power to extract uh, the little kid's lunch money or to extract some kind of servitude from the little guy. Or you could use that authority and power to, um, to be an advocate for the little guy, to serve, not be served. In parenting out in the world, uh, there's a tendency to ask the question, how can I get my kids to make me look good? How can I get my kids to fulfill my dreams? How can I get my kids to do my bidding? But in the kingdom, it's how can I minister to my kids so that they'll thrive? It's a different set of priorities. In the world, majority exploits minorities. Strong exploits weak. Powerful exploits powerless. Attractive exploits less attractive. Intelligent exploits less intelligent. The shrewd exploit the gullible. And on and on and on. And Jesus says, but it shall not be among you. Following Jesus means surrendering to this self-serving tendency that's in us. Well, it's interesting. The only person with the true right to make others bow before them is, is Jesus. He's the ultimate king of kings and lord of lords. And what does he do as our example in verse 45, the final verse? It says, by the way, He's been talking about serving people. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When Jesus uses that Son of Man title, uh, maybe not always, but it seems to often uh, harken back to Daniel 7 about this, um, this exalted, glorious, triumphant one. So the triumphant one, the glorious one, the Son of Man, Jesus, he came to serve, and to give his life. And as his followers, that's what he's calling us to do, to serve and to give. I think if you were to read the Gospel of Mark, maybe, maybe without the awareness of some of the, um, the epistles, etc., you're just reading the narrative here as it comes to us, you'd have this growing understanding that, oh my goodness, this Jesus figure is going to die. Uh, that's been all these uh, hints coming at us and sometimes uh, explicitly told to us. But until now, you might be wondering, but why? <laughs> why does he have to die? Why, why is that part of the plan? Okay, we're starting to understand that this is, is something, but, uh, but why? And here we have the answer to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus has to die so he could pay the price for our release, or pay, pay the price for our release from sin and from slavery. He came as a ransom for many, the one in place of many. He came to die for us. He paid to free our souls from sin and from death. It's the ultimate example of surrendering ourselves. Uh, Paul, the apostle, in his uh, letter to the Philippians, kind of describes both, both this uh, concept theologically and also practically in Philippians 2, um, the first part 
I'd love if we just kind of in the close of, of this uh, message, if we just stood and read this together. Let's just stand together and we'll read Philippians 2, verses 3 to 8. He starts off telling the practical implications, and then he gives uh, Jesus as the ultimate example of this. Uh, can you read that okay from there? It's a little small. If um, those in the front will, will read with me. Uh, Philippians 2, 3 to 8, together. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And this is what our master has called us to follow in line and be. So if you can write the last blank in while you're still standing up, I'll tell it to you. Our challenge is make a selfless move. Do something this week that uh, is motivated by your love of Christ that places self into the background. I want to invite our team to come up and, and lead our last song, and we could probably just stay standing for that. And right following that song, um, I just want to invite you, if you, uh, if you can't stay for three minutes, it's really uh, a, membership, um, a membership voting for a nominating committee. If you need to slip out after the song, that's, that's totally fine, but, uh, but we'll go right into our brief business meeting from here.